G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Please pray with me. Yes, God, each of us is in a different situation. Boys and girls, men and women, workers, retirees, unemployed, workers in all kinds of different fields. Lord God, may we learn a little more today how to bring you glory in the particular situation in life, the particular path that we're on that no one else is, knowing that you are with us, knowing that you are our God, knowing that you have a plan for us and knowing that you have a plan for this world. Teach us, we pray, to live for you in it. In Jesus' name, Amen. i begin with a quote from um, Tim Keller's excellent book, um, Every Good Endeavour, which would kind of be my recommendation if you wanted to take any of this series further. Tim Keller's book, Every Good Endeavour, thinking about how work and faith go together just marvellous. Here he goes. Whether splicing a gene... (laughs) Did you do that this week? Whether splicing a gene or doing brain surgery or collecting the rubbish or painting a picture, our work further develops, maintains or repairs the fabric of the world. In this way, we connect our work with God's work. Over the past two sermons, we've said that work comes to us as a good gift, haven't we? A good gift from a working God. So we, under God, we are tasked with the care of this creation in in general terms, but more pointedly with the cultivation, the task of cultivating the community of mankind, that that is good work when we do those things and work that serves that end, be you a, a brain surgeon or a barista, a mother or a medic, it is good work when you are engaged in that task. To go one step further, we've seen little hints, haven't we? Just little hints so far in the life of Jesus, that worldly work, if I can call it that for a moment, that worldly work remains part and parcel of authentic human life because we've seen it lived out in the authentic human life of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Worldly work, it doesn't interrupt, it isn't a nuisance to authentic human life, It it doesn't interrupt our far more significant spiritual lives, in fact, no, work is a feature of a worshipful life lived before God. Yes, there are thorns, there are challenges, there are difficulties. We live in a fallen world. But work itself isn't the problem. We've seen that, I think, over the last two weeks. Now, all that is well and good. But I can't help but fear that when we come to today's topic, kingdom work, you know, the work of God, gospel work, I kind of fear that we'll end up in what Andrew Cameron Uh, Australian ethicist, what he describes as an armed standoff. See if you can relate to this. A kind of armed standoff, he says, has developed between gospel workers 
and those who do works of creation and community, worldly work, you see. In these fights, he says, between clergy and laity, each tries to trump the other with the greater importance or necessity of their work. And he says, I propose we find a better way forward together. Have you ever felt that tension, that the, the armed standoff? And I, I, don't want to, I don't want to raise it as if I think it's this massive problem in our congregation, but I just wonder, have you felt it? We have on the one side the pastor, the preacher, the priest types and at our worst we think and we act and we speak as if my work's the only important work in all the world, do you see? After all, isn't our work eternal? Isn't it enduring? Isn't it spiritual? Isn't it forever and ever? Amen. And the subtext to that, of course, is, well, that makes me pretty important, doesn't it? I must be more important, more so than the lowly worldly workers. Do you see? At our worst, do you see? Now, as Cameron describes it, there's a kind of backlash where regular workers, worldly workers, if I can continue using that term, again, at our worst, we get our back up in response. Workers get their back up. Well, at least I'm doing something that's actually a thing, that's actually real work. At least, I mean, uh, it, that actually helps people. If your toilet stops flushing, don't bother calling the pastor. <laughs> and perhaps lurking in there too is a certain insecurity uh, when you do try to do ministry, you feel a bit out of your depth with this eternal spiritual stuff. You feel like a bit of an amateur or ill-equipped or underprepared or fumbling our way through one way or another. At our worst, see, we come to resent one another. The armed standoff. Now, as I said, I don't think it's a major problem, but can you feel any of it? Do you have, does it ring any bells for you? the armed standoff between the clergy and the laity, between the gospel workers and the worldly workers. I propose, says Andrew Cameron, I propose we find a better way forward together. And that is what this sermon is about. That is what this conclusion to our series on work is about. That is today. How does the kingdom of God work in it, work for it, work on it, work amongst the kingdom of God? How does kingdom work connect with normal life? If the Bible celebrates and endorses worldly work and yet also celebrates, even prioritises gospel work, kingdom work, then how am I supposed to put those two things together in my life? Now, the way I've arranged it for today, I have a fairly, fairly fast-paced five points. We're going to be moving quite quickly um, on the way through. I'll try not to speak too quickly, uh, but uh, our points should move fairly quickly. And so the first one, step one, part one, is God against the world. God against the world, His kingdom against the world. And what I want to do here is, let me first sum up just vast swathes of, of Bible thinking just by reading a poem, just by reading a poem. It's the one that Gary read to us a moment ago. Here is Psalm 2 and it alerts us to the fact that when we talk about God's kingdom, when we talk about kingdom work, we're not just talking about one kingdom. Oh no, there are two, at least two kingdoms on view. And we, as mankind in this poem, we aren't neutral. In fact, we're not even naturally very uh, inclined to help in this kingdom work. 
We rather on the other side of the, the equation altogether. Would you read Psalm 2 with me? I call it Psalm 2, God against the world. Why do the nations conspire? Psalm 2 verse 1. And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth, see the other kingdom here, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Here's the other kingdom at work, verse 4. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king. Do you see the kingdom now? I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. This is the king speaking now, isn't it? He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your inheritance. The ends of the earth, your possession. You'll rule them with an iron scepter. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. We left, aren't we, with the distinct impression that God against the world will not go well for us. Yes, there's the kingdom of God, but that will not go well for us. But equally clear is the thought that God, he is not in the least perturbed or overawed by our mighty human kingdoms, is he? He isn't threatened by us and as for our little efforts to stand against God in our lives, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. That was point one. Quick enough? Point two. So God against the world. Point two, it is God's work, his kingdom work. So meet God's worker. Now we meet this son character, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now we meet this son, kiss the son, lest he be angry. So come with me now to a quick survey, again, we're just bundling up a whole bunch of material. Come with me now to a quick survey of work and the kingdom of God in John's gospel. And I just want to do that with a few quotes, just picking out a few words of Jesus to get a sense of how he puts together the kingdom of God and work in it across his ministry just from his lips. Listen out for work in each of these quotes. They'll come up uh, behind us, I believe. So firstly, from very early in his ministry, in John chapter 4, very early in Jesus' ministry, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So here's Jesus sent from God, come from God. Remember Psalm 2, the kingdom of God, there's my son and I'm going to install him. And I'm going to give him the inheritance of all the nations, all the kingdoms. They're going to be his. And he starts, Jesus starts off his ministry saying, my food, what I thrive on, what I live for doing is the work of God. That is my bread and butter and I'm going to finish it. That's his intention right at the very beginning. A little later, just after Jesus um, forgave a man his sin, that caused a furor because that's God's work, isn't it? That's a God thing. 
forgave a man who sinned, John chapter 5, verse 17, uh, a little later, my father, said Jesus, is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. In other words, you want to see the work of God? Well, stick with me. And then, just before he was arrested, so much later now, right at the end of his ministry, he prayed to God, his Father. This is the Son, you are my Son, today I have become your Father. The Son speaking to his Father in heaven. And what does he say there in John 17, verse 4? I, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. That's how he looks back on his ministry, you see. And then, of course, you'll remember his last recorded words from the cross in John's Gospel. Do you remember? John 19, verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he breathed, uh, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Um, Here's the thought. Part one, in this wonky world... It is very much God against the world. We aren't by nature doing his work. We aren't by nature, we don't want to do his work. By nature, we oppose the work of God, the kingdom of God in the world. Part two, here comes Jesus living on God's work, loving God's work, pouring his life out to fill up and complete God's work and establish God's kingdom. Now, hold that thought, hold those things together and come with me thirdly to Ephesians chapter 2, where we see God's workmanship today, where we see God's workmanship today. Ephesians chapter 2 in the New Testament there. Come with me there. So, this is, uh, Ephesians is written after Jesus' death and resurrection, okay? It's written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus. Uh, So, where's God's work in the world today? Where are the fingerprints of this supposedly finished work of God? Where do I see that? Is the kingdom of God, is the work of God a going concern in this world or not? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, as for you, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, the Christians there, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There's the kingdom against God, it's speaking of the devil in that case, Um, followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Can you see the two kingdoms thing? God's kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Tune into this verse, okay, verse 10. 
This is why I'm reading this passage. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Just just hold on to that verse there. Can I sum it up like this? You, Christian, your life is not a masterpiece of your own making, according to that verse, is it? You aren't a self-made man, spiritually. You aren't a self-made woman, spiritually. Do you see that there? Rather, verse 10, we are God's workmanship, created, what a word to use, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, forgive me for labouring what seems such a simple point. It seems like a Sunday school point, doesn't it? That, that, uh, but forgive me for labouring it. But what I'm saying is we cannot begin to talk about kingdom work as if it starts with preachers and the people in the pew. That is not where kingdom work begins, with a conflict and a standoff between the pastor up here and the people in the pew. That is not how it works. Preachers don't make new creations. God does that. Priests don't craft new people. You are God's workmanship and so am I. Pastors don't build God's kingdom, not directly and certainly not in their own strength, as we're going to see. Get this, Christians don't even do good works. Not if you mean by that good works somehow apart from God or aside from God or like it was our idea or maybe it puts him in our debt somehow. Do you see that? One Aussie writer put it like this, he said, we are God's creation, we are God's creation in Christ for good works, not our creation by good works. Hard work, your hard work, even your hard work here at church, even your ministry work, even the things that you slog away at, they cannot get people into God's kingdom, those works. By your hard work, even at church, you will never qualify for the kingdom of God. You can't qualify yourself for the kingdom of God. We are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works, not our own creation by good works. Now, how does that connect to this finished, completed, uh, you know, once for all kingdom building work of Jesus? Well, stick with me, point four, we rest on his works, not on our laurels. We rest on his works and not on our laurels. Uh, Allow me to digress, just to to plumb this a little deeper. Plumb this a little deeper, because I think for most of us, at this point, we're probably just nodding along. Yep, yes, Jesus alone, he builds the kingdom of God. Yep, got that already, nothing new so far. No, we can't save ourselves. I know that already. Nothing new so far. Yes, he finished, Jesus finished the work of God. He died on the cross. He worked salvation. Yes, I know that already. And now by his spirit, yes, in us, he is recreating, he's begun to rebuild the kingdom of God, brick by brick, person by person. I know that. I know that. And yes, I know my works can't do that. My works don't make me a Christian. 
and they don't make me a better Christian. I know that too. And perhaps you think of those passages like Romans 3.20, no one will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law. Even the Jews couldn't do it. And if they couldn't do it, I sure can't. But here's the thing, I reckon we have a hard time believing that in our heart of hearts. I really do. Trying to, I think we have a hard time believing that trying harder in our Christian lives doesn't translate to being more at peace with God. Come to me, Jesus said, Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Notice he does not say, come to me, all you who still have got a bit left in the tank. He doesn't say, come to me, you who are willing to work pretty frantically at church, actually, it gets pretty busy around here sometimes. He doesn't say, come to me, you who have grown up religious, who had the right pedigree. He doesn't say, come to me, you who fancy yourself a chance uh, through your own muscle, your own strength, your own brains of building a little bit of heaven on earth here. He doesn't say any of those things. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Let me ask you, do you feel at rest in your Christian life? Because I want you to, because we should, because we must, because we can. How many of us start each day from a place of rest with Jesus? How many of us jump out of bed confident that we already belong right from the start of the day in the kingdom of God, that we are the workmanship of God in his kingdom right from the start of the day? Confident that we're the workmanship of God in the world, dare I say it, eager to discover, I wonder what good gifts, sorry, what good works God's prepared in advance for me to do today. On the other hand, how many of us are pretty sure that we've got to work our way back in each day or perhaps each week? See, Sunday comes around and suddenly we're aware, aren't we? Sunday comes around and suddenly we're aware, maybe I need to do a bit more to get myself back in. Alan de Botton, he tells this little story. Uh, he tells a story about a, what I want to say is a woman's complicated relationship, get this, with her business card. A woman's complicated relationship with her business card. Uh, she works in this financial institution in London, a really big one, uh, and he, he describes her the, the complicated relationship which she has with her business card, which seems to give her assurance in life. And I wonder if it rings bells for you. He says she has a business card which she hands over in meetings and which tells other people, but perhaps more meaningfully reminds her, that she is a business unit senior manager rather than a vaporous transient consciousness in an incidental universe. (laughs) What is your business card of assurance before God? Is it your reputable job? Is it your job title? Maybe it's your role here at church. 
Maybe it's the way people look up to you. Is that your business card of assurance before God? The thing that reminds you at the start of each week or that that bolsters your opinion of yourself each Sunday by Sunday? Is it your role leading stuff here at church? Is it your parents' faith? Is that really where you derive your assurance from? Is it the family name? May I say this, your comfort, your rest, your safe place, let that be Jesus, not your job title, not your ministry role, not the logo on your work shirt or the metallic kind of, you know, sticker that you put on the side of your car. It isn't how well behaved your kids are in public because, of course, we're not just talking about your day job, are we? Work takes many different forms. Don't let your assurance rest on that, please. It isn't the tidiness of your house when someone unexpected comes around. All of those things are fickle. All of those things will fail you. Here is the reminder, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. See the importance of the work being finished? See the importance of Jesus having done the kingdom work. None of us does kingdom work, all of us are kingdom work and so we rest in being his workmanship, not our own. Now, with all that in place, we come to the pointy end. Lastly, fifthly, your part in kingdom work. I want to talk about your part in kingdom work. Let me spoil the ending here for you a little bit. I want to say that every single Christian, with the gifts that God has given... And in the power of His Holy Spirit, we can... In fact, no, that's too soft. Every single Christian, with the gifts that God has given, in the power of His Holy Spirit, must build the Kingdom of God by the Gospel of Jesus, right where you are at the moment. Does that check out with this passage? Just turn over the page, if uh, you've got your Bible in front of you, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, read with me there. Uh, from verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul speaking to the Christians in Ephesus, remember, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, body is a very common metaphor in the New Testament for a church, We're like a body. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, I'll keep reading in a moment from verse 11. I'll skip down a little bit. But just notice here, there's no armed standoff in this church, is there? Not in Paul's mind. There's no armed standoff. Just the one, 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 one. Read with me from verse 11. What has happened to that armed standoff between the, the workers of the kingdom and the rest of the Christians? Verse 11, it was he, the Lord Jesus, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors, teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
So the, the picture here, Christian, do you see your part to play in this? Do you see your part to play? Pastors, yes, pastors prepare who? Prepare all of God's people for what? For work, what kind of work? Well, work, that is the kind of work uh, that means we together reach unity. What were the words there? Unity, uh, maturity, fullness in Christ. That is the work pastors are to prepare average Christians for. And that means your gifts, Christian. So why do you have gifts? Your abilities, Christian. Why do you have abilities? For whose benefit do you have those? Your work, Christian, because that's what it is and that's what it will feel like sometimes. Works of service do what, Christian? God, uh, God's people do works of service so that we all reach unity, maturity and fullness in Christ. Where is the armed standoff gone? by the realisation that we are in this together. We are in it together. As we strive to reach Howrah with the Gospel, we are in that together. As we strive to see baby Christians grow up into grandma Christians and grandpa Christians, we are in that together. God's work in us, God's work through us, God's work forever. Brothers and sisters, I just want to say the armed standoff between gospel workers and other workers, may it never be among us. God delights in us, all of us. God works in us, God empowers us. And yes, there is a priority for kingdom work, but never so as to hate on worldly work. Never so as to replace worldly work. Before I close, can I make three quick reflections that I I hope you find helpful in in your working life in putting these things together? Just three quick reflections. The first one is this, it's a question. Can you identify places where you're already doing kingdom work? Where you are already doing kingdom work? Are you helping Christians to grow? Do you help younger Christians mature in the faith? Do you help your peers mature in the faith? Do you use the Word of God to help them, to help us in putting sin to death? Uh, Do you use the Word of God to help us, to help them in uh, walking in the good works that God prepared in advance for them to do? Are you using your gifts to those ends? Now, perhaps you don't feel like that's, you know, your strongest area. Perhaps you feel a bit ill-suited to it. Perhaps you feel kind of weird doing it or out of your depth, discipling others. But is there somewhere that you're already doing it? Because I want to say that is valuable kingdom work. That's Ephesians 4 in action. Gifts are given to cultivate unity, maturity and fullness of others in Christ. First reflection. Second reflection. Look, of course, there are going to be times when you face a choice. A choice between normal work and kingdom work. And I, I just want us to be realistic about that and okay with facing that conundrum. Say, for example, the boss wants you to, you know, he's leaning on you to work some overtime. And you know that working that overtime will take you out of Bible study with the girls for for the whole month. You have to make a tough decision, don't you? I think we can at least say this. Ephesians cautions us against privileging paid work which I think is the cultural norm, privileging paid work over against kingdom work. If anything, it's the other way round in Ephesians, isn't it? 
Now, I'm not saying that gives you an easy answer, but I am saying don't lose sight of that. You've got some tricky decisions ahead. Choose wisely. Thirdly, last reflection, every Christian doing good work for the kingdom is going to struggle to connect it to your day job, like your actual work, whether you are paid in that or not. But brothers and sisters, I guess I just want to appeal for some creative thinking. Aren't there some ways, even in your speciality, even in your uh, uh, non-religious work environment, aren't there some indirect ways that you can serve the gospel? And it will require creative thinking. But I'm thinking here perhaps of the the old-hand teacher who has has the respect, has the confidence of the principal and when it comes time that that church group from down the road has asked to use the church hall for one of their events, maybe there's a role for you to play there. Perhaps the tenor around the staff room is, no, why should they do that? You've got a chance to open a door for others ministry that no one else would have. No one else is on the inside. Or I think perhaps of the countless tradies who, bless their heart, charge mates rates for churches so that we can invest our money in frontline kingdom work. That, that, is, that is a good thing. Now, if they do charge us full hook, totally, we should pay them and we should gladly pay them with joy in our heart for the good work that they've done. But isn't it a wonderful thing if you are a tradie to be able to bless the church in that way and indirectly contribute Uh, to more funds being put to frontline ministry. Three reflections. Now, to wrap up our series, I thought I might just take a quick moment to share a story where daily work almost came to this screaming halt because of kingdom work. Uh, So, thankfully, a cool head of faith held the way. Let's close our series with this little story. According to Oz Guinness... The uh, Connecticut House of Reps, House of Representatives, was in session on a bright day in May 1780 and the delegates were able to do their work by natural light alone. But then something happened that nobody expected. Right in the middle of debate, there was an eclipse of the sun and everything turned to darkness. Some of the legislators thought it was the second coming and so a clamour arose People wanted to adjourn, people wanted to pray, people wanted to prepare for the coming of the Lord, but the Speaker of the House had a different idea and he rose to the occasion with sound logic and good faith. We are all upset by the darkness, he said, and some of us are afraid, but the day of the Lord is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjournment. And if the Lord is returning, I for one choose to be found doing my duty. I therefore ask that candles be brought. And delegates who expected Jesus, delegates who expected Jesus, went back to their desks and resumed their debate. How about we pray? Great God in heaven, you have placed us each in our little spot in life. We live out our day and we live out our week under you. We know that our whole lives are to be of worship to you. We know that you are building your church, that your kingdom is growing and it is by your hand and not ours. That even the good works we do have been prepared in advance and they are the work of your spirit amongst us. 
Father God, thank you so much that you are using us, even little us, in our little spot in life. Lord God, may that divide between, that, that armed standoff between kingdom workers and worldly workers not be amongst our congregation. May it not disturb the unity that we have in the spirit, but rather may we band together and see our whole lives as lived together under you, our great God, who will uh, build his kingdom and who has entrusted the kingdoms of this world to your, your son, the anointed one, the Lord Jesus. Father, give us delight, we pray, uh, in our work, not just in itself as if it's the highest end, the highest thing that we attain to, but dear God, may it be a delight to us under you, knowing that whatever we're doing, whether it's worldly work or kingdom work, we do in worship of the Lord Jesus, our great God and King, the one true worker of the kingdom, the one true King. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.